There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, hey, hey. But if y'all waiting on me to apologize, hell gonna freeze. Oh, wait. <laughs> it's time once again for the Points in the Paint podcast. As always, we are presented by Stadium. I am Ben Wittenstein. And I am Zach Badger House, and I'm always in the house. You are. And it's the dog days of summer, Zach, so it is Man, the perfect time to be inside. <laughs> AC, nice and cool. Step outside and uh, immediately start sweating. Never good. Never good. But I'm going to give me a hoop run after this, so we'll see how, oh, we'll see how my jump shot looking. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I did that last month. I touched a basketball for the first time in a couple months, and it was... Uh, it was pretty disgusting. It was bad. I, I, I am glad no one saw me do that because it was it was pretty embarrassing. Uh, but we have a good episode, Zach. We have a fun episode previewing the Indiana Pacers. So hopefully we have yes. some Pacers tuning in to listen to Caitlin Cooper, who is our guest this week to do the offseason preview for the Pacers. Um, and she was very fun. Talked to, mm-hmm. had some great points about Rick Carlisle and uh, the Indiana Mavericks as she called it, <laughs> which she said yeah, was, was an funny. inside joke, but now we're part of the inside joke, so it works. Yes, we are. <laughs> so we're excited about that. Um, but before we get to Caitlin's interview, Zach, let's go back to our voicemail line, which I should say was blowing up this week. We got a good amount of calls. Um, so we'll go to that line, give you some of the best calls that we got. Hello, please leave a message after the tone. This Mario, straight out of Columbus, Ohio. I'm here to tell both of the gentlemen on the podcast that I am a favorable listener. I appreciate listening to the Points in the Paint podcast. I want to let you guys know that I'm a big fan of Evan Mobley so far this season. And I think he could potentially even be Rookie of the Year. Yo, this is Marty Mar from Detroit, man. Um, giving you a call here just to let you guys know that y'all don't talk about hockey enough. You know, this is Red Wing Nation. Out here in Detroit, and, and we're, 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 you know, supportive listeners, and, you know, you guys never talk about it. So, uh, what's up with that? No points in the paint. There's a paint in hockey, right? All right. Lakers and foe. All right. So we had uh, a lot of fun. Those were some good ones. It's, uh, I like the voicemail line. I, 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 this is only the second week we've been doing the voicemail line, Zach, but I want to say I think we have one of the best voicemail lines. <laughs> In the podcast. In the podcast industry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, without a doubt. Shout out to Marty Marr. You know, yep. we, we, we'll we do a better job, okay? You know, we'll do we'll do a better job. With Listen, the, we'll, with if he wants us to talk <laughs> hockey, if the listeners want us to talk hockey, we'll talk <laughs> hockey. They Like he said, they have a point. They have a paint in the hockey, I guess. So, you know, we can talk hockey. I'm fine with that. It's the Points in the Paint podcast where we talk about that spear thing. 
You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like seven to eight, it's like seven to eight ounces or so, give or take, something like that, you know, whatever, you know, a little spear. It's like 29 inches <laughs> round. I love the guy who just said Lakers info, too. That was a personal <laughs> favorite of mine. We, if we want to talk about the Lakers, I guess we could talk more about the Lakers. I'm happy about to, to do that. Um, you know, Brown, Brian. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we'll always talk with Brown James. I'm fine with that. Um, but yeah, we had a fan of Evan Mobley, potential rookie of the year. Mario thought yeah, that uh, he could be a rookie there. Listen, I, I think it's right now what I guess it could be considered a hot take, but the way people were talking about him and the way that he's playing and the opportunity he's going to be able to get in Cleveland mm-hmm. might not be that much of a hot take down the road. You know, he's I think we talked about this before. You know, he's going to be a Chris Bosh sort of guy. And that's not that's not bad at all, because, you know, Bosh is obviously a future Hall of Famer. You know, he's been he's been a champion twice, you know, with the Miami Heat. And so and he was talented in Toronto. You know, he's been a guy to go out there and get 25 before taking the backseat with Wade and Bosh. And so and then him, him being being in Cleveland, he gets the opportunity to flourish offensively, you know, with Colin, with Darius Garland. So, yeah, you know, I, I'm impressed to see what I'm curious also to see what Evan Mobley does. But he's a tweener, little, you know, 215, seven feet tall, but he is seven feet, though. Like he yes. is little, he's tall guy. seven feet, legit seven feet. So, you know, I think he'll be good. He's a good face up guy. I'm looking forward to uh, Evan Mobley for the Cavs. So, again, if you want to call, have your voice heard. If you want us to talk about a completely different sport than the podcast was set up to do, <laughs> happy to hear it. Happy to hear it. Uh, give us a call at 773-273-9088. The uh, phone number is in the description for the podcast episode as well. So give us a call. Leave a voicemail 24-7, whatever you want to say. If you don't want to talk about basketball, I guess you can give us a call. We may put it on the podcast. We may not. It's a shot in the dark. 773-273-9088. It's uh, it's fun. Yeah, we listen. We love to hear from the points and the painters, and it just brings more sense of a community here. People can listen to each other, listen to other people that aren't us talk about basketball. So sound off. Give us your thoughts. If you're a Pacers fan and you want to talk about the Pacers, and if you're excited for this lineup, which we had high hopes for the Pacers this season, and apparently that is not the case for a lot of Pacers fans. So so interesting too. I've been, you know, that's like. Because we were talking about them before the injuries, you know, because it was like they have a potential to be a top five, top six team last season. But, you know, all these injuries with them and finding out they don't really have the like camaraderie to the or the togetherness was very interesting, too. So, you know, I hope the listeners really appreciate the inside scoop that Caitlin provided for us. <laughs> exactly. And with that being said, let's go to our interview with Caitlin Cooper. All right, our guest this week to preview the Indiana Pacers is Indy Cornrows writer, contributor, the Pacers SB Nation blog, Caitlin Cooper, and uh, a recurring guest now, second time on the show. Caitlin, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm always happy to get a uh, repeat invite. That means I wasn't terrible the last time I was on. (laughs) It's been a minute. Exactly. It was uh, we had a great show with you last time, so we're looking forward to talking Pacers and with it being the off season and everything, we're interested in kind of your take and, and how everything has been going with the Pacers in the off season, what you're expecting down the road. So we could start with um just looking at the off season by itself with the draft and how training camps and everything have been going. How would you evaluate the Pacers off season thus far, um, especially with a big coaching change too? Right. I mean, I think that the coaching change from Bjorker into Carlisle is kind of the main headliner here. I mean, most of the rosters 
carryover with the exception of adding Tory Craig, which isn't, uh, you know, a huge mainline signing there. Like that's not going to grab a lot of attention, but for a team like the Pacers, they really lacked having a versatile defender that they could throw against a lot of different types of people. And I thought he had a pretty good showing in the Western conference finals in particular against Paul George. And like last year, the Pacers had so many games where they gave up career outings to people like, you know, Mikel Bridges had a season high against the Pacers. Harrison Barnes had a season high against the Pacers. OG Ananobi had a season high against the Pacers. Like with, with TJ Warren out, they just didn't have people that they could throw at the bigger wings while also, you know, Malcolm Brogdon can do that, but then it's like, who are they going to put at the point of attack if you were doing that? So he kind of makes their roster make a little bit more sense, even though that's a, a tiny contract. But I think there will be some addition, um, by subtraction with regards to Bjorkren. That, that's me trying to put it kindly, I think. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, to see what type of an imprint Rick Carlisle is going to put with, with mostly the same roster. So what was the fan reaction, you know, getting a guy back in Rick Carlisle and your reaction too? Right. So I normally write, I mean, like last year when they were hiring Bjorkren, I think they interviewed around like 15 to 20 people. So I wrote a lot of coaching profiles during that time period. And then this go around, there was just some slight rumblings about Steve Clifford and um, Terry Stott. So I had gotten those two done. And before they had even conducted actual interviews with them, I think they announced Rick Carlisle, which is who the fan base was clamoring for as soon as he got let go in Dallas. So I think there was quite a bit of momentum to bring him back. A lot of respect for the things that he did here with Indiana the last time. For me personally, given with how much stuff was going on with Bjorkren behind the scenes or what was reported with stuff Bjorkren behind the scenes, it's really hard for me to take an opinion one way or the other because I think what the Pacers found out is there's a lot more to coaching than just the X's and O's. Like a lot of this had to do with, you know, micromanaging behind the scenes and how he was managing staff and players. So to know whether that's, you know, something that Rick Carlisle is going to excel at, I know that he has some history with uh you know, wanting to play call, whereas Luca wanted to play more on his own and how some of those relationships are going to go. But it feels like they've rounded out the staff with assistants who are going to address some of the, you know, maintaining relationships with players. So we'll see. Okay. And now on Twitter, if we can talk about Twitter for a second, you've been <laughs> calling, uh, you've been looking at some of the things this team has been running and calling them the Indiana Mavericks. Uh, yeah. what, what's 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 the uh, what's the reasoning behind that? And do you so you've been seeing like a lot of similar stuff that Rick Carlisle has run while in Dallas? Right. So it, it's somewhat of an inside joke because when Bjorkren okay. took over last year, um, he was running identical playbooks to the Raptors. Like it was almost oh, wow. the exact same system. So I wrote an early article about that. In a lot of ways, offensively, he did a lot of good things for the team. But defensively, not all of that worked out. So whenever he was let go and Rick Carlisle was hired, I wrote in the article, like, I'm not expecting the Indiana Mavericks to rise from the ashes of the Indiana Raptors because Rick Carlisle isn't really a system coach. Like, he, he more takes the players that he has and, and Uses their adapts to what, yeah, adapts to what they do. So then Summer League happened and Mike Weinar, who was the offensive coordinator in Dallas, was coaching. And I was like, oh, these are a lot of the exact same set so they're the same plays so I was kind of highlighting things that they do there but I would say that the one difference is under Bjorker and it was much more I would say with the types of offense they're running about precision rather than concept so about midway through the season once some of the scouting caught up they became very robotic in the way that they're operating in their offense and when you watch some of the stuff that Dallas does and what they were doing in summer league it's a very simple thing like running a split cut around a high post but 
where under Bjorkren it might be, okay, the, the post-entry passer always screens away from the ball, and that's what it is, and defenses come to expect that. This is more allowing those players to make a read based on how the defense is covering them, and then it develops from there. So um, just the idea that you're going to be able to play more in a way that defenses aren't going to know exactly what you're doing, I thought that showed up quite a bit with Spain, high post, whatever it was. So I probably shouldn't have termed it as exactly Indiana Mavericks because the sets were the same, <laughs> but there's, there's a lot more optionality within what they were doing. So that's where that came from. Okay, so on paper now, hear me out. On paper, the Pacers have a pretty strong lineup. They really do, Caitlin. And yep. so what's your expectations for this lineup with Brogdon, Lavert, Warren, Sabonis, Miles Turner? What are you thinking? Right. So I mean they I mean overall they just have a lot of quality rotation players. Like they have quite a bit of depth, even though they always seem hesitant to to really uh, provide a pecking order in terms of who their number one option is. They more like to say we have a complementary core, which I think is true. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if that is, in fact, their starting lineup. I mean, there's been rumblings. I know the Indianapolis Star reported that there's been some consideration whether they're going to split the two bigs and maybe bring one off the bench next year. Uh, most recently, general manager Chad Buchanan did a – Q&A with Scott Agnes, who writes his own newsletter, and he had a comment in there, which I don't want to take completely out of context, but essentially said, like, you know, our, our roster's unique with two centers, and that's going to challenge Rick's creativity, I guess. And added on the I guess, which kind of makes you feel like, you know, is this something that they're going to continue doing to kind of kick the can down on the road, but they're still looking for an opportunity to maybe, you know, we don't completely think that there's a, you know, a limited ceiling somewhat with the two centers, but... Um, I think that there is stuff that Rick Carlisle can do with the two of them that wasn't necessarily happening the last two years. I mean, I know he likes bigs to be taking deeper threes and stuff, but there were other ways that he manipulated negative spacing that I think would work, especially with Sabonis being able to handle up top, like out of their five out with um, dribble handoffs and then lifting him up to the high post and being able to facilitate from there, as well as, you know, maybe getting Turner more involved as a trailer, like what they would do with Kristaps Porzingis at times, I think could unlock some stuff for him. Miles in particular, I'm kind of interested in watching because he's shared some clips, which, you know, off-season clips, what are we taking away from these? Oh, but, my goodness, You know, they, they, they mean everything. <laughs> but he was working out with Julius Randle, and Julius Randle did make a jump clearly into the most improved player conversation and winning the award last year. So if Miles can start hitting some of those shots, like what Randle did last year at a higher clip, that opens up stuff more for them. Because to this point, some of him as a stretch shooter is more theory than it is actual. Like a lot of times when you watch, if he's the screener, like – defenses are going to be willing to let him shoot that shot. Like, it's great if he makes it. That makes him a more complete player, but is it actually reshaping the defense? So I think that's something that has the opportunity to develop under Rick Carlisle. And just being able to get T.J. Warren back, I think, makes a pretty big difference on both ends of the floor. I mean, he was their leading scorer the year prior, and some of the stuff that I mentioned with their defensive versatility. I think they can get back, to answer your question, I think they can get back to being a playoff team if everything goes right and, you know, knock on wood, they can finally be healthy at the same time for mm -hmm. um, any sustained period. Do you think the chemistry between Levert and Warren will be an issue, or do you think that's something they're going to have to like figure out early on, or does it seem like something will seems like it'll be fine in the long run for those two guys? Right. I mean, and you bring up a good point because this entire starting five is yet to play a minute together. So yeah, um, some of it we're just going to have to go off of assumptions. I think that 
it sounds like Malcolm Brogdon will continue to be the primary ball handler and they want to free a Karras to continue to be that scorer and, and be able to run pick and rolls. Like I don't, with both of them on the floor, the one thing about Rick Carlisle is he kind of does guard play with the exception of, you know, Luca being more heliocentric. I think his ideal is to have guard play be more team ball. So you'll see a lot of times they'll kind of buddy up and, and run some like boomerang back actions where you might have like Brogdon and Sabonis on one side and, and Karras and, Turner on the other I think you can work TJ Warren into some of that um, and then if they do stagger him then maybe you get back to some of the stuff that was happening in the bubble for TJ where he was able to do some four or five pick and roll and you can put fours in a different position but I mean TJ is really pretty is better suited as being a play finisher whereas I don't know how many people realize that Karras is actually a pretty decent playmaker a good passer so I don't think it's a complete overlap I'll be interested to see how it plays out, but um, they have similar characteristics, especially aesthetically and how they get to the basket. But I think there's enough space for both of them. Okay. And so how much do you think the Pacers' recent draft picks will contribute this year? Well, I thought Chris Duarte looked pretty ready right now, which, I mean, was yeah, kind of was, was the book on him. Um <laughs> He was making a lot of tough shots, and I would say that when he continues to go forward, he would need to make himself a little bit more of a threat coming off of the pick, getting into the paint a little bit more, whereas you know he was just making a lot of really good reads and shots against various different types of coverage, but to be more complete. I think he would be ready to play in that backup spot behind Levert, but then that brings back the situation with Jeremy Lamb, which they've tried to move Jeremy reportedly over the summer, but Jeremy's also in a contract year. So how does this play out? You know, if if you can't find a trade partner for him and then you're wanting to get early minutes for Chris Duarte to kind of fit into the rotation, does that get prickly at all? Like, I, I think that's a situation to monitor because you might need to play Jeremy Lamb early in the season to provide proof of product to potential trade suitors of like, look, yeah. he's healthy. He looks like himself again. So I wouldn't be surprised if in the early going, Jeremy Lamb is part of that rotation until – they can find somewhere to move him, similar to what happened with Victor Oladipo a year ago. Like, we got to bring him back, have him show that, you know, he's fitting in and, and is moving better at least than what he was in the bubble, and then they moved him to Houston. So with Isaiah Jackson, you know, he was he almost set the pretty summer raw. league record. Yeah, pretty <laughs> raw. Almost set the summer league record for blocks in that one game. Good at challenging shots. It has better, I think, passing field than what some people realize, but the – um, most of what comes from the team sounds like they think he's going to be spending time in the G League next year, which is what I would expect because, I mean, the Pacers already just have so many bigs. I mean, especially if they stagger Turner and Sabonis, like you're already going to be trouble, having trouble finding minutes for Goga, who they drafted two years ago. So um, he might have a little bit more trouble finding minutes if, if he isn't regularly in the G League. Okay. All right, Caitlin, if you can for a second take off your analytical writer hat, and put on your Stephen A. Smith hot take hat. <laughs> this is going to be a challenge for me. <laughs> what, uh, what is your personal hottest take for this Pacers team this season, whether it be either a trade you think they could make or a player you think is going to improve or not play well or positioning in the playoffs? What, what would be your hottest take that you think is possible to happen to this Pacers team this season? Oh, wow. And I can go a lot of different ways. I mean, my my continued thought, and this is the lukewarm aspect of this, is okay. that I'm not fully committed to this roster, but I'm a not opposed to them running it back. I think that, you know, they said in the aftermath of last season that they didn't really have a vocal leader. 
and that they challenged mm-hmm. three guys on the team to do that and that they wanted to add like a veteran in, ter- in terms of what Al Jefferson was for them a few years ago who didn't really play but could kind of be, you know, that source of leadership from the bench. And that wasn't necessarily addressed this year. So I think there's potential for some of these problems. Like we keep hearing there's locker room problems in this team. Does Rick Carlisle automatically fix that? But um, if if all of that can remain stable, I guess my hottest take, because I did get pushback from this, was I said I thought they could finish sixth in the Eastern Conference if everything goes mm-hmm. well. They could be a solidified playoff team. So yeah. that got some pushback from some of the teams that were below them. Especially <laughs> they were in the play-in tournament. So I think that's about as hot as I would go. But I would say it wouldn't surprise me. Maybe this is another hot take. With the exception of maybe Levert, it wouldn't surprise me if any of the other four people on the roster were in trade conversations or were, were moved if this doesn't go well. So that would make so sense. You said something about no one hunt, no, no leadership for the Indiana yeah. Pacers. So Michael Brogdon couldn't step up and be. The leader, <laughs> if yeah, you the will. The conversation about Brogdon <laughs> is always is always kind of strange to me because he seems like you know he's really ready to be out in front. I mean, he shows such leadership and off the court mm-hmm. matters that mm-hmm. it's a little odd to me that it comes across like that doesn't really parlay into the locker room and on the court. Like he seems like the most natural person to take that job over. But according to Kevin Pritchard, he's saying that they did not have a vocal leader last year and that they challenged. I don't know who the three people were, but that they challenged three people to be willing to take mm-hmm. on that role. Interesting. How uh, how excited are you to actually cover a team now where you don't have to like dissect some very bad coaching decisions, and you finally have a <laughs> have a coach who knows what he's doing to to finally dissect a little higher intelligence. Oh, I'm I'm thrilled about that because the thing about <laughs> Bjorkren is is like he's clearly very smart. It's just that at times last year it was like galaxy brained. And it yeah. felt like what you're saying is true. Like, it felt like almost every week I'm like, I'm starting to loathe myself because every week I'm just writing, like, look at this weird thing the Pacers are doing now. And why are they going over on Russell Westbrook for the millionth time? And why are they running triangle and two with Brogdon shadowing Jokic? And why are they face guarding out of timeouts? So in that respect, like, I think that was the first thing I said. We recorded a pod, like, within an hour of Rick Carlisle getting hired. And at the end of it, I was like, I'm just happy to watch competent basketball. Like, they might play, <laughs> they might play zone and it might actually be functional. Like, they might really know what their roles and responsibilities are in it. So, yeah, that, that's a big step up right there. Well, we're excited. I'm excited for the Pacers. I'm surprised you got pushed back on that uh, sixth in the East comment because yeah. I, maybe I'm too high on them as well, I guess, because I thought sixth or fifth seems possible, even like probable. Definitely reasonable. Mm, well, I, I'm glad to have others like me. Like, I think there's a <laughs> wide range here. I think they could be back in the position they're in if things don't break. But I didn't think it was that wild that they could be an actual in the playoffs playoff team. Yeah, I would agree. Well, Caitlin, appreciate you coming on, giving us some Pacers yes. insight, and uh, we'll be sure to have you on third time, another reoccurring guest segment sometime during the uh, regular season. I didn't season. blow it. I didn't blow no. it. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, of course job. not. Oh, of course. All right. We want, we appreciate Caitlin coming on, reoccurring guest. She'll be on for sure during the regular season, and I'm okay. guessing to talk about maybe a top five Indiana Pacers team in the ESEC? Maybe. Possibly. Maybe so, you know, I mean, like, like we said, you know, five, six, somewhere in there. I think they should be in the mix for somewhere around there because I don't hear me out. Now, this I know we don't have an overreaction, but I was thinking over the weekend of like certain teams who will be good and who may take a step back. 
I think the Boston Celtics take a step back. Ooh, like a, like another step because they've already taken a step back from previous years. So being a top three team in the Eastern Conference, but what they they fell down again, what sixth or seventh this past season, and then I think again they're gonna fall. They're probably gonna fall down and take a little tumble and be in that play-in scenario. I really believe so. I'm excited to hear you give that take to another guest. (laughs) She will, uh, we're going to have her on in the next couple of weeks because she's our Miami Heat expert and now our Boston Celtics expert as she works at NBC Boston. So we'll be talking to her down the road and you have to take that take and you have to say it to her and get her reaction to it (laughs) because that's going to be exciting. Um, and we, what we didn't mention too at the end of the podcast with Caitlin, um, at the end of the interview, she does, again, if you want to find her work, she's on Twitter at C2 underscore Cooper. So you can find her there. And of course, all her stuff at IndieCornrows.com, which is the SB Nation site for the Pacers, Zach. Yes. Very excited for that. So we appreciate everyone listening and we appreciate Caitlin Cooper for coming on and appreciate everyone calling in again. Give us a call in the voicemail, whatever you want to say. 773-273-9088. That'll conclude this edition of the Points of the Paint podcast presented by Stadium. That was my main man's Ben Wittenstein. I am Zach Badgerhouse. Follow us on social media, respectively, of course. Make sure you follow Points in the Paint on YouTube as we post clips and full episodes and full interviews on the YouTube website. So go ahead and check that out and stream that on your 60 inch television screen, if you will. If you got the <laughs> no. YouTube app, no. smart TV, <laughs> you, put no our big faces. you put our big faces on your 60 inch flat screen TV, if you will. But in all right. seriousness, <laughs> stream the podcast wherever you get your podcast. I have a podcast, of course, Spotify, of course, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. You want to listen to tape, don't lie. With my mans, because he's getting it done now. They had a guest on for the first episode, Michael Felder. So make sure you listen to that. All talks, everything football, breaks down the plays, breaks down defenses. Very interesting, too. And sharp lessons. NFL is coming right on up. You want to have those bets already placed in terms of who may win MVP this year. Or who's going to come out the division, win the division, all those sorts of things. You got to take out Nate Jacobson and my man's Ben Winstein for sharp lessons wherever you get your podcast. And you will hear from us next week.